Welcome to the Kitchen Sink Meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Starting in July 2021, the meeting will be hybrid. You will still be able to attend the meeting via Zoom. Please go to the Los Angeles Intergroup's webpage at oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. Now is the time for the leader to qualify. Um, so, really rare. Um, I'm Rika, compulsive overeater bulimic. Um, I also hi. Um, I also happen to be co-secretary. Thank you, Nikki. I appreciate it. Um, rarely, uh, we couldn't. We we struggled with getting a speaker for today, and so it sort of shifted. And um, Jack asked me to speak. So. While that feels weird to me, I feel like, okay, well, I guess that's the universe doing what the universe does. So I like to do uh, the what was it like, what happened, and what it's like now framework, mostly because um, I have a lot of tangents and I'm really good at them, so I will find any number of ways to not talk about what makes me uncomfortable. So, you know, (laughs) too smart for my own good or too stupid for my own good. I don't know which way to go with that. I grew up um, as, you know, the fixer, the solver, the doer for my mother. I traveled to Europe by myself when I was eight, flying non-rev, meaning like waiting to get in, get on. Like I had to wait and it was a whole thing when I was eight years old to Denmark. And I've always sort of had to do everything myself. Um, my, you know, my life was always about being unneedy. Like I couldn't have a need. I just got to be there, sort of, you know, the proverbial um, be seen, not heard. Um, I really was that for both my mother and my dad. And I also just made shit work. Sorry, technical term. Um, And they didn't really realize how much that I was solving these things. But I was also told very, very frequently that I was too much. You know, like I was too loud. I was too present. I was you know, interrupting frog, basically. You know, I was always sort of uh, engaged. Even from the, like, first month I was born, apparently my mother says that if I was perched up, I was fine. But if I was flat and couldn't see what was happening, I was screaming at the top of my lungs. And that's kind of how I feel today. Um, and And the thing is, is like, that is like old stuff. Stuff. And um, I didn't know how to do that after a while without filling it with something else. So I, um, I had, you know, at about 15 or 16 years old, um, I started to realize that my body, because I got boobs and all that other stuff at 16. So I was like late to the party. And my mom says to me when I went to go get an out, you know, get a new bikini, you've got huge, you know, and I was like, Thank you. Everybody in the place turns around. And it was like, for the person who didn't want to be seen but be seen, it was horrific. And I remember thinking, oh, this is some sort of transactional trade scenario. I get to show up for her when she needs me to, to make her feel bigger and better. And she did this all the time. So I could show up when she wanted me to show up. Um, She would ask me to go, you know, get boat rides. She would ask me to, you know, we'd go to um, Hawaii or Belize, and she'd be like, go talk to those people and get us a boat ride. Like, oh, get on the airplane and go sit over there. And next thing I know, we got, like, this exclusive St. Thomas 
party thing with celebrities. And I was like, just because I would talk to people. And it was both the complete wrong thing for me to do all the time and the thing she wielded when she wanted to. And the food just became the thing I did to sort of almost like put a, you know, like a Japanese threefold thing in front of me. Like I couldn't be seen because I was eating. And when I was eating, I, I felt like, like I was protected by, by this, this visibility cloak or something. And at 16, I was um, raped and a date rape. And, and, and what I realized was, oh shit, I was seen. Even though I didn't want to be seen. And so I started to gain weight. And then I went to college and I dated a Mormon for four years. So that made it all like the whole opposite of things. I didn't know how to be seen. Either in an in a, in a intimate way with people, even just talking to people. Or in a, um, in a like intimate relationship. I couldn't because I was here to be your reflection. What did you need from me? And then I did that, and everybody was always fine with me when I did that. But if I showed up in any way in the ways that I wanted to, it was a challenge. So for me, like, that just continued to, I started to throw up in college to sort of just reflect out what I couldn't keep in anymore. So for me, the feelings were what it was about. I wouldn't eat, like, a thousand things. I wouldn't be, like, massive eater. I would... Literally couldn't handle one more feeling I was holding down that my throwing up was that. So it really just kept, it would come up. It wasn't like some other bulimics that I heard about that, that, you know, put in so much and then feel like they can absolve themselves of what they ate. For me, it was the feelings that I was, that I was getting rid of more than anything else. Um, ironically, I met, um, I, I, you know, I tried all kinds of different things intimately because I didn't understand who I was other than a transaction. So I kept, you know, trying and trying to fit. And what I, what I realized at about 26 or 27 was like, I don't fit. My job is not to fit. Sucks. I hate it. And I was so angry about that. And so for a while, I, you know, I, I tried to do this um, managed eating, meaning like I went and did a checking of what I ate and I was getting these migraine headaches and they were like, oh, it's probably wheat. And this was like a thousand years ago before wheat was like the thing. And so what I did was I stopped eating wheat. Well, it wasn't like choices everywhere for wheat. So I just didn't eat it. Right. So it wasn't like a I can change and get this non wheat free, blah, blah, blah. It just allowed me to keep myself in sort of a box. And then, um, you know, for me, like what the real game changer was when um, I went to a party and met my now husband. And he, um, he, he reflected to me the, this sort of sheer acceptance, particularly based on where we were, but like this idea of just non-judgment, just presence, just easy to be around human. And, you know, it was, it was game changing, but it also was fleeting because um, we've been together for about 17 years. And after about six, I was really clear that he had a, an addiction of his own. 
that I continued to try and solve and fix and manage and solve and fix and manage like I tried to solve and fix my mother and my dad and everyone else. Because that was my responsibility, because if I didn't, I would literally die, right? Like, I was just going to fall into the abyss, and there's no net. And so that's when I came to OA. And I, he went to rehab for his addiction, and I was like, oh, crap. I have this food thing. Like, I keep using this food scenario to shut my my feelings down to shut my vulnerabilities down i would literally obsess around like how many chips are in the el coyote bowl who's got more chips i got more chips he got more chips oh we can get more chips okay good so like that was i would literally have a chip obsession and i was like wow it's just a chip but but net net it was like it was an obsession and then i would think about like you're finishing yours first or I finish mine first and you still have some left. You know, like I would just be watching and considering everybody's plate. And what I didn't realize is that I didn't even taste my food. Right? Like, I, it was gross, but whatever at some times. But, you know, Margarita goes a long way. But anyway, um, it's gotten better. But we digress. Um, what I didn't realize is in that moment is that, that once I started to come to OA, I had a notion that I needed to find perfection. It had to look like, point out whoever I decided looked great and perfect that week. And I needed to be more like them. And for a long time, I sat in that with um, sheer abandon. Like, I just would sort of like, I'd be present, but I was not present, right? Um, and nobody ever saw the messy. And I am probably one of the messiest people out there. Um, and messy, for me over the 10 years since I've been in program has really ebbed and flowed. What does that look like? What am I facing? How am I dealing with things in my life? How am I growing? And the growing has to do with the program, you know, some of the work in, in, in the 12 and 12 and in the, the, um, the big book and even just all the step work is digging through this sort of left alone piles of stuff, you know? And I had to go, okay, what is this one? And I wanted to do it all at once, right? Like, I wanted to get it and then be done with it, you know? What, what do you mean? It's like, you can't, you know, there's no graduating. You can't just be done with it. And it took me probably five or six years to realize that, like, it's never going to be the way I want it to be. It's just going to be the way it is, like it or not. Um, I also just, you know, tried to do a geographical with my husband because he continue to be messy. I started to go to another program, which essentially was meaningfully helpful, but totally not helpful because I didn't feel like I was good enough to have somebody who loved me. So I had to work on that. And all the while staying in my marriage, recognizing that I wasn't seen, it didn't matter. That person was so into their own disease that I, that I could just continue to, you know, exist without being, um, said as a human and um and i realized that the food covered up and still in messy waves covers up the little girl that wants to be vulnerable that wants to be seen that wants to be messy and wants to be loved no matter what and what was clear to me was that you know 
over and over and over again, day by day, I have to give her that. And um, that's scary to me because I'm not reliable for myself. Why would anybody else be reliable to me, right? Like, why would anybody else be all of that? Because they don't even know who I was in half of those instances, right? And the truth is, is that when I was being these things, I don't think they were like false versions of myself. I think they were just picking and choosing parts of myself to make the situations easier over time. But going through the, the steps, you know, I'm, I'm currently in the middle of steps um, again, and I'm in my ninth step. And, and, you know, as you sit in your eighth and your ninth, and like all of your character defects, um, what I know for sure is that I'll never be perfect. Um, I've always believed that it's progress, not perfection. But actually what I realized this week was that it's progress is perfection for me. Because what else is there? Um, and I'm never going to get to the end until I'm there. So I can sit and think about it all I want and look back. But, but that's, like, that's like abuse in itself, right? Like knowing that <laughs> I have a 16-year-old daughter and she's amazing and filled with anxiety. But when she was born, my doctor, I asked my doctor this question about why is it these women say that they don't remember the pain and it's this motor or they give me this whole story. And I was like, that's bull crap. And the doctor said, you know, let me just explain something to you. And I was like, what? And he's like, physical pain, you know it happened, but you can't feel it again. Emotional pain, you can keep doing that until you're done doing that. And it's you abusing yourself when you repeat that cycle over and over and over and over again. Physical pain, yeah, it hurt. I remember it hurt. I had a baby. It hurt. Didn't feel good. I can't feel it again. But the emotional work is, to me, the spiritual part of this program that while my body has done any number of things, like up 30, down 30, you know, like numbers all over the place, I recognize uh, fundamentally that whether I'm a size 8 or a size 18, whether I'm in a relationship or not, all of these things, there I am. The feeling is there because I'm still the same. I moved to Pennsylvania. still the same. <laughs> I, you know, I do all these things. It's still just me um, who's afraid to be seen. And, you know, year after year, day after day, in program. I read literature, I go to meetings, I have a sponsor, and I've changed sponsors multiple times. And that would originally be something that I would be very judgmental toward on myself, that I can't keep something going. In fact, it just means that I needed to learn different things from a different person at a different, like, sometimes things end for that reason, and I don't need to know why. And, and the other thing, too, is like, when I'm working with my sponsees or when I'm working with just fellows, who says we have to agree with something? You know, it's like you can be happy every day of the rest of your life if you do one thing, and that is just accept what it is. And then go, oh, do I turn left or turn right? You're just going to make a next decision. But this idea that I somehow can fix it and make it the way I want it, instead of going... Given this current state, do I turn left or turn right? It's really fairly simple. And that helps me 
to stay more in the moment instead of trying to be, trying to not be, you know, filling it in. So, you know, to me, meditation has been a huge thing during the pandemic. I've been really in hell staying at home without connection. I'm an extrovert. I get energy from people. And when I'm home, my propensity is to stay still and dig down and to put the blankets over the head, you know? Um, And, you know, it's it's that conscious um, contact with my higher power, my inner self, my, my personal state of serenity is is in every moment that I'm aware and able to not forget that I remember that I know how to do the thing. I mean, I feel like, you know, people have said, like, that we're, um, what is it, we're, we're quick, um, we're, we're slow learners. I'm like, no, we're quick forgetters. Like, I forget so quickly that I decided I wasn't going to eat cheese, whatever it is, right? Like, I just like, oh, suddenly I forgot. Huh, weird. <laughs> and, and what's crazy is that I really feel that, like, Whoa! That's time. I get that. Like I do it every time. Thank you. Um, so, so suffice to say, like program in early days evolved. I didn't believe in gods and higher powers and all that business because I didn't ever feel like I knew I was being supported all those years by a higher power for me about me to support me but as i as i'm able to reflect back and realize the things that i've evolved through um living in a um very very poor household and you know going to thrift stores and refrying our own beans to not having enough food for whatever to you know, being an executive at, you know, very large organizations, none of that makes sense. None of that is a plan. Or at least it wasn't mine. (laughs) And that I I know is that, like, even when it goes deep down, where I feel I am now, because I'm in the process of changing my situation, and as I look at that, I want it to be wrong and easy and simple and complicated and out of my depth and in my depth. I like, I'm so in and out of, am I worthy of what it is that I know in my heart and in my, you know, through my higher power's eyes that I have to regularly remind myself that like, I'm just right here, you know, like the other day I had like a real breakdown and, uh, you know, lost my shit. Let's just be honest. And so, I went and called a couple people, but people were busy. And then I went to the beach and I sat and I just watched the waves and I just was like, okay. I had to connect to here because I was so everywhere else. And, you know, we're uniquely valuable, all of us. And it doesn't mean that everybody has to love you. It doesn't mean that you have to love everyone. It just means that you, you know, have the opportunity to just accept that they're on their journey, you're on your journey. They may not collide. They may, you know, you may have all kinds of ideas about it. But, like, there's a reason for people being in your life and people being out of your life. And people who come in and and entertain different ideas of who you were 
probably meant to be in some way, shape, or form. And you move that way, and you realize, wow, I moved that way, and suddenly it's different than where I thought it was going to be. And that's scary because it's like accepting the situation that it is versus some idea of what it should be. So for me, I never thought I would get married, and then I did get married. Um, and, you know, but I've always believed that, like, nobody would stay. Like, my dad wouldn't stay. My mom, like, nobody would really take care of me. And what I realized through being married is that, yeah, nobody is going to take care of me. I'm going to take care of me. My higher power is going to take care of me. And if there are people that stay around in that, then there are people that stay around in that. And if there are people that leave and or, you know, I don't know if anybody's seen the meme of like, if you're, if you're too much, if people tell you you're too much, well, then they're not your people. They're not your people. So um, at the end of all this, it's like progress, not perfection. But, you know, progress for me is perfection. And I know that because my higher power tells me that that I don't get to decide whether I like it or not because it just is going to be. And then I can say, what's my next step? One of my fellows says to me, if that limiting belief you have isn't true, what's the next thing you would do? And so I ask myself that a lot. Like, I'm in there, I'm not enough, nobody loves me. Well, okay, if that wasn't true, now what? Right? <laughs> I mean, it's a, like a dramatic statement, but like, come on. We all have moments of um, clarity and moments of fogginess, and it's all good. Um, doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Doesn't mean it doesn't suck. It isn't awesome. It isn't like all the things. Um, but the fallacy is that we're alone, and we're not. That I know from this program, and uniquely from this program. Because we love each other before we sometimes love ourselves. And I learned that here. So thank you for letting me share. Um, control for station identification. Okay. Um, all right. This is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of myself are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you asked a question last week, please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. Um, if you have a question and or are in person, please raise your hand. If you're on Zoom, please type it into the chat and the host will read it out. Um, we will alternate between in-person and online questions and uh, I will uh, do my best to remember to repeat the question um, when asked. How do I show my vulnerability today um, versus uh, protecting myself, right? Yeah. Um, today, the thing I do most is slow down. Um, very often, I have a little, like, dance party of speed, of not being seen, like somehow people won't see. Um, I stop, I look, um, I repeat back what people are asking and talking to me about so that I'm conscious of what I'm answering versus answering based on a script of, of predetermined statements, right? Um, I also uh, 
do contrary action. Like I reach out when I don't want to, which I never would do before. I would just be like, nobody loves me, worms, you know, whatever the thing was. And now I'll just be like, dude, I'm messy today. And that is not comfortable for me. And um, this idea that I should be comfortable or want to be comfortable is completely what keeps me in the dark and keeps me in my disease. So I just have to be willing to um, be scared and also have them not like it, you know. Um, and that is probably what I ran from the most. Thank you. Uh, we have a question online. Uh, can you talk more about your higher power and can you talk about your daily spiritual practice? Yes. Thank you. Uh, um, I don't think I have to repeat that, do I? Okay. Um, <laughs> um, I grew up um, in a, my mom is a complete and total anti-religious person. My dad was um, a uh, Catholic, but he also was really just Catholic when he was dying, which was kind of all the time, because he had a heart attack. He had a heart attack at 30 and double, blah, blah, blah. So whenever he was sick, it was always like, Christ, you know, fill in the blank. And my mom would be like, dumb people do that. And I grew up mostly with my mother, so... For me, this whole idea of having some, like, notion of, like, dude in the sky and and, or chick in the sky and or who knows, whatever the thing is, was a foreign idea. But but I learned to think about religion differently when I was in college. That allowed me to make space for this idea that it doesn't have to be God. It gets to be some version of your... um, your inner voice that's the most loving kind perspective and that's where I started and then I started to recognize voices in the room as people who were reflecting what I needed to hear and in some cases what I didn't want to hear Um, but that evolution really was about my willingness to show up and also be seen in and in front of what is this higher power I had the notion that the higher power didn't know what I was doing on a Tuesday underneath the table, like whatever the thing was, you know. And and what I know is that um, my higher power today shows up in my daily routine, just the fact that I do them. I wake up. I do meditation. I read the For Today book. Um, I also, you know, have taken to to looking at different books that we have and just flipping open to a page. Instead of like some decided, you know, the 31st of this month looks like this. Um, And that kind of just is sort of like something um, almost spontaneous or serendipitous about what I need to hear today. Um, And trying to find similarities versus the differences. Because they used to be like very about the differences. Um, You know, because it's black and white thinking that gets me here. Um, And then, you know, I also have a sponsee. So I meet with her daily and um, talk to her um, and you know honestly the thing that I have um, struggled with the most on a, on a daily basis is really sh- um, phone calls because I really hate the phone there's something audio visual that I, I like need to see people to properly relate there's something for me in that um, but it has evolved over this uh, pandemic thanks for asking the question oh. let me go there um, the question was, how did I get in program? 
Um, I got in program because my, my husband was going off to rehab, and I realized that um, while I was reflecting, taking his uh, inventory, um, I was really in my own um, abusive behavior with food. And candidly, um, I never knew about OA before I came to OA. But I started to do the, you know, what, 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 what do people do for eating? What do people, you know, and I started to look it up on the Internet. And I have a tendency to be like, do that for a while. And then suddenly I'm going to go do it, you know. But it's like I don't know what shifted other than I realized that I couldn't, I could no longer focus on him. I needed to focus on what I was doing to both my triggers triggering him and his triggers triggering me is like, oh, this is, this is a, an unhealthy lock that if we don't both deal with our stuff, we're not going to be able to deal with each other. So um, hopefully that answers your question. Is there anything on? We have a question online, yes. What would you say to a sponsee if she said, I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy? What would I say? Well, actually... Um, I probably say something to her every day about it. Um, oh, sorry. Um, what would I say to a sponsee um, if they said they weren't good enough um, uh, or other like that? Um, and what I say to her and what I say to anyone is like, why did you decide that? And she's like, well, what do you mean? And I said, I mean... You can decide that you are enough or you're not enough. What happened today or what is, you know, coming in that is telling you that that's the answer. And then when I, that happens, they'll answer and she'll answer and I'll say, I mean, but is that true? Like, I think you should write down what it is that you're saying and identify the opposite and then play with the opposite for a little while. You know, somebody told me once, yeah, um, like a thousand years ago, but it sticks to me today, is that my worth is a, a decision and a determinant I make for myself every day. And, and every minute, right? Like it just, you know, I can decide anything I want. And nobody makes me do anything. Even when I do something that I think is someone else telling me to do it, I'm still deciding to or not to do it based on the consequence I think that I do or don't want. And so for her, she says this a lot to me, some versions of, you know, I'm not good enough. I never felt like I was good enough. And I was like, all right, you know, and so what now what? How's that helping you today? You know, go, you know, and I usually have her write something down or or reflect out loud what is the story she's telling herself and then asking her if it's really true. And most of the time she goes, no, it's not true. And I said, okay, and how do you feel? She's like the same. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, all I can do is I do that every day repeatedly so that when it comes up, you get to say, well, is that really true? Is it not true? Is it just something that you're, you know, you don't know what and it's your autopilot? Um, and I think, you know, some days it really, like, resonates, and other days you can see it's just like, I still fucking don't You know, and okay. My job is just to sort of reflect, I think, what I think, what I've seen that works for me. Um, and, you know, whether it helps her or not, um, I hope it does, but do the best I can.
really. Um, my question is, how did, in the program, how did your relationships change from transactional to more genuine? Uh, the question is, how did my relationships during program change from transactional to more than that? Yeah. Um, candidly, it is um, a decision I have to make because I always believed that people would only like me if whatever it was. Like I was there to deliver something for them to make it easier. So for my mother, for example, she is a very complicated woman and has MS and blah, a whole bunch of stuff. But what I realized is that she used to project on me that I was a bad daughter because I did what? Well, let me clarify. Whenever I didn't do anything she wanted, if I did what she wanted, we're good. All was good because I just did whatever she wanted. And what I realized is that I had to recognize what I wanted to be, what a good daughter looks like for me and build the boundaries to support myself in that. And so I have to question any time I'm doing something for her, so I'm consciously aware of am I doing it to make her, like, make it easier? Or am I doing it because it's what I think is a good, uh, what kind of daughter I want to be? Similarly with my husband, right? Like, I have to ask the questions, am I doing this just to avoid feeling, you know, or dealing, or whatever I'm avoiding? Or am I doing this because, no, this is actually in support of myself. And, and I actually had a, a, bit of, a bit of a CTJ um, in fall last year where I told my work, there are certain things I'll do that I think are within um, the kind of integrity I wanted and other things that I wouldn't do because it was outside of what I felt was my own personal integrity. Similarly, that's when I told my husband, you need to do these things for yourself so that we can even have conversations. And that was the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, because then I had to face the fact that I could just be alone and not have a job and go and die in the corner. Like, that was the story I was telling myself, right? But it, it didn't happen. It doesn't happen. It's messy. I'm figuring things out. But what I know is that if I didn't do that, this would be like my one life that I know about. And um, I, think, I think I should be seeking the best possible version of myself. Um, thank you. And if people aren't, you know, um, contributors to the... Somebody said to me, if they're not on Team Rika, they shouldn't be in the team. They shouldn't be in the game. And I was like, yeah, that includes me. Right? That includes me. And I think I've probably been the hardest one to, to transform. I have to work on her every day. Because that voice, she ain't nice. You know, they say, like, the bad neighborhood in your head, don't stay too much up there. Don't be in that neighborhood so much. Um, this is what the pandemic has really called out for me. Too much time up there is, is definitely not uh, loving and supportive. So I have to find ways to get out of it. Um, some weeks and days are better than others. But I have loving friends who will remind me, hey, are you hanging out too much by yourself over there? Let's go take a walk. I'm like, okay. Um, and, you know, reluctantly um, sometimes, but other times it's good. So, thanks. Do we have time for one more, maybe? Or is there one more or no? Carol? So, what does Steve's team look like for you on a daily basis? That's a good question. What does being seen look like on a daily basis? Um, 
for me, being seen is um, recognizing my own authentic state. Like, understanding that I need to check in with myself, which is why the meditation has been so meaningfully helpful for me of late. Is like, the idea that I am not my body. I don't know if you guys know that I practice this thing outside, but I'm not my mind, my thoughts. I'm not my body. I am not my feelings. My thoughts lead to my feelings, lead to my body's actions. I am still 100% perfect. Not in everything I do, but just perfect. And I can choose these big things to support or hinder that. And the more I recognize that my, my body, my thoughts, and all of that are just servants to my, myself, I have to realize that who is the self I want to be. Back to do I want to be a good daughter? What kind of daughter I want to be? And so when I go out, is I'm showing up as the most honest version of myself and allowing for people to engage with me. Because historically, I'd show up, but I wouldn't allow engagement. It would just be like, oh, you can be right here. You know, and I didn't want them to see, and so that's where the rushing, that's where the, I have to slow down. So being authentic and being able to be seen has more to do with slowing down, listening, um, pausing, uh, reflecting in the morning, and being willing to say, this is who I am today, um, and unapologetically so, and then let people do what they will, right? Like, I think somehow I can control it. That's just, like, completely insane. Like, I think I can control the waves, too. I don't know. It doesn't mean I can. And, you know, being seen is probably the scariest thing for me. Ironically, as I'm in a mask with a hat. And that, you know. <laughs> um, it has to do with being vulnerable. Um, and, you know, being vulnerable is the first thing I learned to stop doing. Thank you for asking the question. All right.